It's hard to believe we are recording this for the 200th time. I'm not sure I knew when we got started that we would be this consistent in doing it, but I'm delighted. Quite a celebration. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of August 29th, 2013. That's right. Happy 200th anniversary podcasts. <laughs> um, uh, today, we're going to give you a uh, sort of a summary slash recap of um, a presentation we delivered as a part of a Lunch and Learn at the Elmore County Extension Office Auditorium. In central Alabama. Right, in, in uh, Wetumpka, to be exact. And that was uh, on August 14th of this year. So it's, it's a timely topic, fall vegetable gardening. We're going to intersperse a little bit of uh, uh, update of what we've done in our own vegetable garden since then. But, you know, a subtitle for this could be, it's really late summer, fall, winter, and early spring. Um, in fact, we could call it rest of the year gardening. And we, I will interrupt to say that the slides are available on our show notes page, and you will enjoy the presentation more if you're able to follow along on those slides. Yeah, so you might want to go to your computer and, and grab is, those. this uh, is and this is podcast number 200. Okay, so let's just start out by previewing what we'll talk about today. First of all, why fall gardening? How we're prolonging the season? Choosing what we're going to plant? And how to prepare your garden for fall gardening? Planting the fall garden? And then timing, lots of different things that'll happen. And harvesting. Why fall? Well, first, it's more pleasant to be outside. This is one of my favorite shots showing Amanda on her little uh, buggy kneeling beside the uh, raised bed. And you can see that uh, it's fall because she's wearing an Alabama t-shirt. And that's what she normally wears in the fall. Especially on game day. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, Roll Tide. Just, this time of year, as the weather begins to cool off and as the humidity declines, it's just a lot more pleasant to be outside. Right. And uh, you also have, you can successfully grow some vegetable varieties that don't work quite as well, or in some cases at all, in the warmer weather. You can actually grow collards in the summertime. We've done it. But collards and a lot of other brassicas just taste better if they have um, had a little frost. And we call that frost-kissed. We don't stop eating in the wintertime, so why should we stop growing? And it's better; it tastes better to get it fresh off the plant and has a lot more nutrients if you, you know, harvest it. Uh, there's a, a photo here showing broccoli and cauliflower harvested from the garden, along with some lovely lettuce leaves over to the left that we harvested as a part of a fall garden. When we first started with this, I think we fully expected that we were going to be doing lots and lots of canning in the summertime and then eating what we canned in the wintertime. And we still do a little bit, but not nearly as much as we expected because we can harvest straight through the winter and it's just more pleasant to do that. 
Well, we found a way that we can prolong our season, and we don't have a hoop house or a greenhouse or anything like that. You could actually prolong and extend your seasons even more if you had those, uh, use those other types of resources. And we might sometime in the future. Maybe someday we will. But what are we doing just with what we have right now to prolong it? One thing I did was I planted a second round of heat-loving veg in, uh, to, for the rest of the summer month. Now, this is an okra blossom. If you're looking at this picture of this lovely yellow flower, um, that is not one that I replanted. We just <laughs> thought it was pretty. But I will say that the okra is still going strong out there in late August. And last, a couple of years ago, I mean, I had okra until November, until it froze. So, um, you know, we, we can continue to eat off the plants that have been doing well out there. Um, we did have a rough summer in terms of my tomatoes because uh, the voles, of course, were a problem at the beginning. The the uh, excess... And, and too much rain. It was too rainy. So um, we lost a lot of tomatoes. On July 19th, I got out and planted some more um, tomato plants and peppers. So that's why we said nightshades. And so far they're doing great, but I should tell you... Um, I do have hornworms out there, and I'm fighting them. And that sort of caught us by surprise. I think we've been so diligent about planting our marigold and basil alongside our tomatoes, we've sort of gotten complacent. Well, I wasn't complacent. Let me take a second to explain what's happened. When I plant them in the spring, I plant new little, along with my tomato plants, I plant new basil plants that I just started in my seed trays along with the tomatoes, and Plenty of marigolds, which you can find marigolds all over in the every place from plant sales to the big box stores will sell you a flat of marigolds. And I interplanted liberally. Didn't have hornworm problems with those tomatoes. As I said, I had other problems. But what I've discovered is that in this, I did have some more tomato plants left, but I didn't have any more small basil or marigolds. I had actually some marigolds that were looking sad left over from spring, and it's a miracle they lived, but I kept them alive, sort of on life support, and put them out there, and they are doing well. So I don't have my usual um, phalanx of basil to put out there, and you really can't buy it easily this time of the year, nor do I want to pay those high prices to buy them in a four-inch pot. So... I've, I'm going to try something different. What I did yesterday is I got out there and dug up the basil plants that are now 10 feet tall practically. I'm exaggerating, but they are about 4 feet tall. And I transplanted them over n near the new tomatoes. And so we'll see if that makes a difference. All right. Or whether they even live. And then you also had a round on July the 31st. Right. That was um, a late summer planting of squash pumpkins, peas, and beans. The idea being that um, some of those plants you can actually do as a fall planting. Um, pumpkins, you can, you really, I'm stretching it to wait till the end of July, but July is a good time to plant pumpkins anyway. And you can see from this picture, and actually in it's the last couple of weeks, now. it's even bigger. We've got squash growing out there, um, peas, beans, um, even some edamame. Now, the question is, do you need frost blanket to prolong the season? We sort of thought when we got started with this that we would, but we were wrong. We really don't need frost blanket at all for our true fall veg. We have not in the past. I'm not ready to say we don't as a rule of thumb, but the past two winters we yeah. certainly haven't. 
Now, we have on occasion needed row covers, not to protect from frost, but to protect from insects. And more about that later. We'll talk about the insects. Yeah. yeah but um, Now, we do have uh, what we I consider a transitional garden. You call it a fall rush season. And we've got a photograph that will demonstrate this. Um, this is not from this year because we've had a... Um, because we've converted to raised beds and, and had some constraints that you've already heard about with the voles, etc. But last year, you can see from this photo in the middle row, I've already started planting lettuces, other fall vegetables on down the line. And I even we even have the hoops in place preparing to put row cover over it to protect those plants from um, the insects. Uh, however, we still have other plants growing on either side. Uh, to the left, we have peas and on down the line, on down to beans, lima beans, etc. Um, and on the right, we have our summer cover crop still thriving. That's sun hemp with the yellow blossoms. And there's no reason to pull that out if I'm just going to let that, you know, go over the wintertime. There's no reason to take that out until I'm ready to plant a winter cover, cover crop. So it is a fall rush. There's something planted in almost every bed this time mm. of the year. And then come the true fall veg, things like the brassicas, the broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage. Right. We've got a list of those, and you'll see. Um, and that's something we certainly urge people to look at for this time of the year because you're probably not looking for a short-term garden. I'll admit, putting more nightshades out there and more squash and you know peas, we realize that when it freezes, those plants are going to be gone. That's just to get me through the end of the summer. Because usually our first frost date's not until late October, early November. So we've got some more growing season left uh, for the, for the uh, heat-loving veg. But what about fall? Brassicas. That's the name of the game. Those are our favorites. And they will, at least in our area, central Alabama, typically uh, muscle on through the wintertime. That's cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi, turnip. Chinese cabbage, which I've never planted, but I'm trying it this year. Kale, collards, mustard greens, radish, and rutabaga. Actually, rutabaga, um, if you're starting it from seed, you ought to put it in the ground by July. But you can buy the plants. That's what I did last year. I bought transplants of rutabaga and uh, put that in, in in August, September, and it was fine. Uh, we've got a photograph of a beautiful but very small yeah. <laughs> cauliflower. All our cauliflower uh is delicious. It's like a delicacy for us, but we do not get the huge heads that you see in the grocery store. And that's even planting it in some pretty decent soil, too. It just doesn't mm -hmm. get that large here. Um, the goosefoot family is another uh, type of fall or a plant, a family of plants that does well in the fall. Uh, beets, Swiss chard, and spinach are from that family. Um, and I planted some beets just the other day on Monday, the 26th. Um, I put them in and directly seeded them into the ground. Another family, lettuces, well, they're not all in the same family, but um, lettuces, carrots, parsnips, and parsley all do well for fall. The onion family, uh, that consists of garlic, onions, of course, leeks, shallot, and chive. And I've, that I'll do later in the, in the fall. But you can see, if you look at the photograph, um, Lee in the background with the uh, garlic bed. However, I'll say that that's, uh, that's being taken in the spring. That's not what it's going to look like when I first plant it. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's tiny but when it you shows, first plant it. But it shows it in the spring. 
So right. in, in preparation for your fall planting, sort of transitioning over, first thing you want to do is clear out what's left from the summer. There are some um, plants that are still healthy. They're just, it's time for them to come down. And those you can compost. We've got several this year, particularly because of the wet weather, that seem diseased. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, we're, go ahead. Well, I was just going to speak directly to, in my even my tiny little garden that actually survived this past summer, how I, I cleared this off just this Monday, so it's, it's uh, fresh on my mind. I had exactly four healthy spent plants and they were stalks of corn that had survived the voles and I put those right into the compost I did cut them up fairly small and that'll help but you're right we, when there if there's any kind of disease or pest that could overwinter you don't want to put those in the compost some people if they know their compost is going to get really really hot or they're not going to touch it for like two or three years they're not so worried but we don't know that about ours so I had uh, my cucumbers, I think, probably succumbed to vine borers, as did the watermelon. And my tomatoes had some sort of, I think, fire blight or something. I don't know. But anyway, um, those all went into a pile that we hoped to burn. Or, you know, I guess I could toss them out in the woods. But you really just want to make sure that whatever disease or pests progeny that might be in there does not hang around. Many gardeners like to till before they plant as a means of keeping the soil loose and to control weeds. We are no-till, so that's not an issue for us. We don't till in any way, uh, but that's strictly a, a matter of personal preference. Same with raised beds. We started out with no raised beds, and then we converted over to raised beds, and we're, we like them, but we're certainly aware that there are plenty of folk who can do this without raised beds and do. Right. Now here's a shot uh, showing why raised beds make so much sense for us. We have always viewed Veg Hill as being more or less flat until we started putting these raised beds in, and then it became obvious why our soil was washing the way it was. Uh, raised bed, uh, Veg Hill is by no means flat, and you can see that here. Mm -hmm. But I've had much better results since we did put the raised beds in as far as seeds washing away oh, and that kind of thing. We don't have nearly as much yeah. of a problem with soil erosion as we did before. Okay, another thing you need to do to prepare your garden for the fall planting is to be sure you rotate crops. That actually applies any time of the year. Um, we found a really good publication through the Alabama Cooperative Extension System, and I'm just going to give you the number of that now, um, and we'll have this on the show notes page as well. But it's called ANR. One, two, five, four. It's on crop rotation. And it's helpful to group. Um, it shows you the groups of um, plant families so that you're sure that you don't plant. First of all, so that you're sure you know what plants are in that family. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the handout's helpful. But um, the principle is that you want to avoid planting the same family in the same place um, for many plants, it's just two years in a row, but actually there are some that are recommended rotating so that they're not planted any more often than every three years. So if you're in doubt, just go online and find out what the crop rotation suggestion is for a given plant or family. Um, the reason you do this rotation is, number one, to avoid disease and pests um, persisting in the soil. They'll, they will target a particular type of plant and um, can 
can live through, especially with mild winters. So you want to be sure that whatever pest is particular, let's say to tomatoes, but not likely to hit your cabbage, then, you know, don't, don't do that. Okay. Um, the other reason is nutrient depletion. Uh, some plants like, let's say corn uses an awful lot of nitrogen. You sure don't want to plant those plants two years in a row. You can direct seed a good many fall veg, although that We've not done that a lot. We tend to use transplants for our our brassicas. It's certainly least. more foolproof, but it's also more expensive, and you can't get the variety that you can if you direct seed. Here's the reason it hasn't worked. Well, the reason I think it hasn't worked for me in the past is that you have to keep the soil moist. Um, and so we've started watering it. Uh, I actually put some in. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, that reminds me. We need to water today, Yeah, we've got to got to do that. Um, but it's kind of like if you've ever started seed indoors, you don't let them dry out. Same thing outside. Um, like I said, it's more foolproof. But the variety is limited. For example, I couldn't find the kind of kale I wanted last year. Um, but I can find the kind of kale in a seed packet. The timing of planting fall veg, um, we actually referred to in the, in the show notes page, you'll see C. Kemble's chart. Well, Joe Kemble... Dr. Joe Kimball is a professor in horticulture and he specializes in vegetable production at Auburn University. He has um, made up a publication and we'll refer to that too. It's ANR1422 and it's the basics of fall vegetable gardening. He has a chart for central Alabama. If you're in our area, central Alabama, you're in luck. There's a chart for the timing automatically. However, if you're anywhere else in Alabama, You'll want to refer to this publication, ANR 63, Planting Guide for Home Gardening in Alabama. That gives you um, a way of, it, it prints the central Alabama dates, but it gives you a little formula um, on there for figuring out if you're north of there, you do this. If you're south of there, you adjust it this way. If you are not anywhere in the state of Alabama, but you want to know the best timing, the optimum timing for uh, planting, be it spring or fall, there are a couple of things you can do. First of all, you want to know when your first, if this is fall, your first frost date is. So what you do is just go to Google and put in your state first frost date. You can find it. Then I found online Johnny's Selected Seeds. I actually do order seed from them. Um, they have a good selection. But they have especially what I like is an interactive tool where once you know your first frost date, you go to that tool, you plug that in, and it gives you the planting dates for different crops. Now, we've talked about a particular couple here, onion sets. Again, we're in central Alabama, so what I'm going to say applies to central Alabama. I plant those in the fall, and sets, not seeds, I use sets. And you have to use, if you're in this area, the best kind are short day varieties. That would be something like Granex or um, a Vidalia onion. Garlic for us, that's a November planting. And it's if you haven't ordered garlic yet and you're in this time, in this, um, well, we're in zone eight. If you're in this area, um, it's not too or late to put it in. Just get, get it ordered so you can have it for you, uh, your use in November. Um, if you ordered your garlic in the spring, they will, most seed companies defer delivery of it until fall when it's needed. Strawberries we normally plant in October. Although we're looking at a fully established bed, of course, we're going to pull those beds and we'll probably end up 
messing up our strawberry crop this year completely, won't we? Well, the idea, though, the reason I started planting in October is that um, I found through Oakview Granary last year that they had some extra strawberry plugs. And I bought, I planted 50 of those. Very healthy. They overwintered just great. They were nice and established by spring when it was time for them to produce. So planting in October is a really good now good idea. If you want to continue and you want to use matted row and, and have them put out daughter plants, that's up to you. But if you're starting over every year, plant them in October in this area. Pests are a challenge at, at this time of year and a little before, um, and that's when we sometimes find it necessary to use row cover to protect our tender plants. We use uh, a fabric called Agrabond AG15, very lightweight, lets in 80% of the sunlight, but it will keep insects out, and it's handy. Here's a, a photo of AG15 in place. On uh, We use uh, PVC hoops that we just anchor in the ground with rebar, and then we stretch the AG15 over those hoops. And in case you're wondering, well, gee, doesn't the vegetable get too big for that? Yes, it does. And when we, <laughs> um, the thing about brassicas, which is what you see here, they don't need pollination. You know, I mean, if you if you cover it over squash like this, when they start blooming, you need to remove it so they can be pollinated. These don't have to be pollinated, but they do get tall. By that time, when they're tall, pull the agrabon off. You're going to be fine because. Uh, for one thing, the pests will be gone by then. And also, they're big enough they can handle getting chomped on a little bit without dying. It's just when they're so tender that you run the risk. And one other question you may have is how about rainfall? The rain comes right through the AG-15. So uh, they can get rainfall right through the row cover. And, of course, we're also drip irrigating, so they get some water that way as well. Okay, what about weed control? Well, it's just as important in the late summer as it any, is any other time because even though they'll fade as the year goes along, you don't want weeds to get established early in your garden and, and rob the uh, nutrients of the plants. Also, mulching is important. It helps to hold in the, um, the moisture, which you need when they're getting started and really all the time, and it protects the uh, plant from extremes of temperature a little bit better. This is a bed of strawberries that you planted in October of last year. And we used hay as our mulch because hay is really cheap for us. And um, it worked out very well. We were actually using hay on top of that weed guard fabric. Right. And with strawberries, I mean, I found the ticket, which is to roll out the weed guard, you know, cut a little hole, put your strawberry plug in, and then put some hay on top of that. Weed control becomes less important as the fall progresses because as the weather cools off, the weeds get less aggressive. Of course, the other plants become less aggressive, too. Right. Everything just slows down as the weather cools off. Now, what to do about frost? If you want to extend your season of your heat-loving veg past the first frost date, you can do that. And in fact, we've talked about doing it, but we've never really done it. What we normally do instead is we watch the weather forecast, and as that, as we actually see a forecast, not the date, but the actual forecast of the first frost date, we will pull all the heat-loving veg, even if it's not yet ripe. This was a couple of years ago when we, um, I listened to the news, and for once the weatherman was right 
spot on accurate, <laughs> which isn't always the case. And I went out the morning before that first frost was supposed to hit. And you see all the tomatoes. The great thing about those is they just gradually, little by little, they, they ripened. And not all at the same time. So we, we were actually eating ripe tomatoes into December. Yes. And it was, that was nice. Um, we have not needed frost protection for any brassicas. Maybe if the broccoli persisted into January and we got a really low temperature, we would uh, opt for fr frost blanket for the broccoli. But we can tell you the, the collards, the kale, the Brussels sprouts, it just does not worry them to be in a really cold temperature. Well, for us, cold. If we lived up north. True. Again, we're zone Really cold eight. for us is below 20. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the Brussels sprouts have been our champs. They just don't seem to be deterred by anything that we can experience here in Alabama. Okay, well, we talked about the fact that um, about the good taste of these vegetables, and that's because it's important to know when to harvest. What good is it to plant them if you harvest them at the wrong time, either too early or, um, heaven forbid, you let them uh, rot? So you want to harvest it at the, at the right time. Um, after a good frost, you, you mentioned already, it tastes better. Collards especially. You might be tempted to go out and clip those leaves while it's still 80 degrees outside. Don't. Wait until after you've had your first frost if you can stand it and they'll taste much better. You can harvest broccoli when the heads form. And we wanted to say that, at least for our experience, we don't ever get the large heads you see in the grocery store. Uh, this We certainly get heads that are larger than this one. Well, yeah, but, we had a picture earlier. Remember that in the basket? That looked better than this. Right. <laughs> but, but we don't get huge heads, and we don't get huge heads for our cauliflower either. And I... I say that so that you won't keep waiting around for the heads to, to get as big as the ones you see in the grocery store. When it looks like it might taste good, go ahead and harvest it and enjoy it. Yeah, because the broccoli, if you wait around, it'll just go to, it'll start uh, turning into little yellow flowers, which are pretty, but they don't taste very good. <laughs> yeah, once you get yellow flowers, you've lost your crop. It won't taste good. It's, that's bolted on you. Uh, we just love the Brussels sprouts because, because, among other things, they are the cutest vegetable ever made. Uh, here's a, one growing, and this is the little Brussels sprouts forming on the stalk. And they are small. That's not a mature. Um, the one at the very bottom is getting close. But um, I, I think that it's important to show people the pictures because if they've never grown Brussels sprouts before, sometimes they don't know what to look for. Yeah, what is it you're looking for? Right. And, and what's going to happen is as these sprouts get a little more mature, they'll swell up on them, and, and it happens pretty fast. They'll swell up on you, and then you say, oh, that's ready, and you're ready to And you don't it. harvest the whole stock at one time. I know you can go to a grocery store, and often, especially a natural food store, and find a whole stock, but most home gardeners just pinch off an individual Brussels sprout when it's ready. Yeah, and, no. you, can, and you can get enough for a serving if you're doing well. Okay, the, the crops that overwinter, uh, we normally wait to harvest garlic until one-third of the fronds have turned yellow. The mistake we have made on a couple of occasions is to keep waiting, and then you have a string of rain showers. And the thing with garlic is you need to harvest it when it's dry. 
So if you've got a dry period and, and your fronds are beginning to yellow, our experience would say go ahead and pull it now because you don't want to have to wait. You know, if Once the rains start in on you, then you end up not being able to harvest it. Well, that's what happened to us this year. We, you're supposed to let it dry out for a week, and we never had a week that dried out before harvesting. Um, now, onions look a little different, and some people are waiting for this to happen with garlic, and it doesn't. Uh, garlic, our, our garlic anyway, it's soft neck garlic, does not fall over. Onions, on the other hand, when the fronds, they, as my cousin used to say, it, when those lay over, then it's time to pull that onion. And mine did it at all different kinds. It was times. It was not as if I had like a day I went out and all the onions were ready. Thank goodness it was much better to have it unfold like that. Uh, strawberries are pretty obvious when they are actually ready. I love this photo because it shows so many different stages in the development of the strawberry. You can see the blossoms there. You can see the very green strawberries forming. You can see the not quite ripe strawberries. And that uh, strawberry that's second from the left there is ready. It's ready to be harvested and enjoyed. So that's sort of a, a spectrum of how to look for strawberries. Uh, the other... Uh plants I've had good luck with overwintering are carrots and parsnips. Also Swiss chard. I had some Swiss chard last year that was ready. I could have harvested, harvested in the fall, but really I couldn't believe how much of it was just really came to fruition in the springtime. And how do you know when to harvest carrots? It's the, the, um, the green top, you know, the top part gets really large and, uh, I don't know. I usually just dig around with my fingers and start to and look around start to see if it looks like it's big it, enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Well, here's uh, a, a list of these publications we've been talking about, and so you can use those for reference. We hope that you have um, a good week, and we will look forward to catching up with you next time. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at three three four six two five eight six eight two. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.